Hey guys, welcome back to The Crime Couch. I'm your host, Kaylee Campbell, and here finally joining me today is my co-host, Joby. Hey guys. Today we're going to be talking about a haunting case that still leaves people with chills to this day. This is the case of the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. He spent many of his years terrorizing downtown Los Angeles, sexually assaulting and killing many men, women, and children. He was a man full of pure evil and anger and wanted to take it out on anyone and everyone he could. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. On a, on a large one. Richard Ramirez was born and raised in El Paso, Texas, and was the youngest of five children to his parents, Mercedes and Julian Ramirez. It was reported that at a young age, Richard sustained a multitude of head injuries as a child, one being knocked unconscious from a swing when he was only five years old. Soon after this, he began to experience seizure-like fits and was diagnosed with epilepsy. As a child, he was heavily influenced by his older cousin named Miguel, who had just returned from the Vietnam War. Miguel had a very negative impact on who Richard Ramirez was growing up to be, and they frequently smoked weed together while Miguel showed Richard terrible pictures from the war, all before Richard was even a teenager. He would often brag about the people that he killed and would share graphic stories about the women that he tortured and raped and killed. At the young age of 13, Richard watched as Miguel murdered his wife right in front of him. Richard eventually dropped out of school in ninth grade and was arrested for the first time in 1977 due to possession of marijuana. Soon after this, he moved to California and began his reign of terror. It started out with a cocaine obsession, which was followed by him frequently burglarizing downtown LA where he was later arrested twice and charged with theft in 1981 and then again in 1984. So with all this happening, it definitely sounds like Richard is more of a made psychopath as opposed to a born one. I know there's a lot of uh, controversy between the two and it definitely seems like if he wasn't raised in the environment that he was and didn't go through everything that he definitely wouldn't have turned out to be uh, the same type of person that he was. Yeah, I definitely think that if his cousin hadn't had such a big impact on mm -hmm. him and a negative one for that, he definitely could have turned out way different. But I like the science behind it because I'm sure they did a lot of research and autopsies on his brain to try and see to try and see what was going on in there because mm -hmm. I know that they do autopsies on serial killers' brains specifically because they have a lot in common. So like Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy's brain, Richard Ramirez's brain, Jeffrey Dahmer's brain all have something specific about them that make them serial killers. It helps you understand the science behind it yeah. and why each case is different. Yeah, exactly. Theft quickly turned into violence and murder, and on June 28, 1984, he committed his first murder. 79-year-old Ginny Vinco was alone in her house late at night when Richard broke in, sexually assaulted, stabbed, and burglarized her. 
What follows after this is a series of rapes and murders leaving dozens dead and many people in Los Angeles fearful of their lives. Nearly nine months later, he struck again, breaking into the home of Maria Hernandez and robbing and murdering her roommate, Dale Okazaki. Maria actually survived this attack, unlike her roommate, and looked Richard right in the eyes before he ran off into the night. She was the one who was able to notify the police and authorities. Not being satisfied with the murder, he then snuck over to Sai Lian Liu's house just next door, where he killed her as well, shooting her in the head at a point-blank range. It was only 10 days later, on March 27th, Richard broke into the home of 64-year-old Vincent Zazara and his wife Maxine. He ended up robbing them of around $40,000 worth of assets. He shot Vincent in the head and Maxine was brutally assaulted and stabbed to death. Richard also ended up gouging out the eyes of Maxine. This ended up causing a media frenzy and that is when he was first dubbed as the Valley Intruder although that name did not stick around for very long. This was the first murder where his attacks started to become recognizable, and police picked up on this pattern and realized that they had a real serial killer on their hands. Five murders later, the police had not found any leads to Richard at all whatsoever, and the public had become terrified. Although there was no concrete evidence connecting Richard to the cases, they would find small clues at the scene, like footprints stained in blood or outside of the victim's property. These footprints would end up also being a connecting factor to the numerous cases of missing kids disappearing around Southern California at the same time. Although it seemed like a reach at the time, this unique footprint led detectives on a hunt to figure out what shoe it came from. The sole of the shoe had a very distinct look and after weeks of digging, they discovered that the shoe print was an Avia aerobic shoe size 11.5, which they found out that only one pair had been sold in the whole state of California. They were still unable to locate the owner of the shoe, but there was around five or six different crime scenes that he left his footprint at, including a kidnapping case involving an eight-year-old girl. This case ended up becoming a very significant part in the discovery of Richard because she was one of the very few survivors of his horrific attacks. So whenever I was doing research for this case, um, I noticed that it took them a while to connect the kidnappings with the murders, even though they had more than enough evidence to try and connect the two, especially since he was going on this murder spree. Right. There was one detective in particular who found the shoe print at both a kidnapping scene and a murder scene, and he's the one that ended up linking the two. And so he went to go testify and tell the police that it made sense that both of these shoe prints were found at the same scene. So although they didn't know it was Richard at the time, they could at least connect the kidnapping cases with the murder cases and therefore link more cases to him. Uh -huh. Yeah, because it really just seemed like the police didn't want to believe that it was one person causing all these crimes in the whole state. Right, and this was back in the 80s, and crime wasn't that popular. I mean, there was a lot going on, but mm -hmm. nobody wanted to believe in that year, in that era, 
that there actually was a serial killer. It was more trusting than it is these days, where everyone locks their doors, and that wasn't as common back then. Right. In May of 1985, Richard repeated his pattern to the T and murdered another couple named William and Lily Doy. And over the next few months, his murders increased and he claimed another dozen victims in a full frenzy of violence, burglary, assault, and murder. This time, he added to them with satanic rituals. I was looking up some of the rituals. It was stuff like lipstick uh, pentagrams on the walls, and he carved uh, satanic symbols into the victims' bodies. Yes. Um, He's insane. It, it, it really goes to show like how purely evil he was. The more crimes he committed, the angrier he got, mm -hmm. and there's been multiple claims of him saying how satan was controlling him and satan was telling him what to do and it just seemed like the further along he got the worse and worse he got yeah the further down into the hole i guess he fell and i can't imagine what he would have done if they hadn't caught him mm -hmm. when they did because i the the whole satan thing that is what freaks me out when it comes to serial killers and stuff because that stuff's real that stuff exists and when it's controlling you and it takes over you that is probably more dangerous than any yeah, horror movie like killer Ted or Ted Bundy. Yeah, that makes Ted Bundy look like innocent, <laughs> <laughs> almost. Richard Ramirez claimed that the devil had been speaking to him and that he was full of evil, and that's why he murdered so many people. The Los Angeles Police Department put together a task force that the FBI assisted with. With the help of the media police, and surviving witnesses having descriptions of their suspect, it forced Richard to leave Los Angeles and travel up north to San Francisco to get away from all the eyes on him. As he was previously named the Valley Intruder, his new name became known across the states as the Night Stalker. This name derived from the fact that his victims were attacked in their homes in the middle of the night. On August 17th, he struck again killing Peter and Barbara Pan. His recognizable motive was quickly noticed when the victims were found with a satanic symbol painted on their wall in lipstick. Police noticed this and learned he was no longer in LA, but had traveled up north. Ramirez's final night of terror and torture happened on August 24th, 1985, which later led to his arrest. He accidentally left a footprint outside of a home in San Francisco, and a witness wrote down his car and license plate number. Later that night, he broke into the home of a woman where he raped her, and when she said she sweared to God that she wouldn't tell anyone, he made her swear to Satan instead. Weird. I don't like that at all. Mm -hmm. it... He did that with multiple victims, and that makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah, the the woman actually survived it, and she testified to this in court, and oh my gosh. this really struck with the jury just how evil he was. Wow. A few days later, Richard's car was found abandoned, and police were able to salvage a fingerprint from the scene. This later led to them matching the fingerprint to his previous criminal record. National TV later put his prison photo on the news along with clues and pictures of the surviving victims for the public to keep an eye out for him. Finally, on August 31st, he was spotted outside a store and was chased down the street and beaten in public by citizens until the police arrived and arrested him. 
As Richard awaited trial in jail, it kept getting pushed back due to the arguments between the prosecutors and his defense attorney. It became a complicated process due to the fact the geographical location of his crimes were so widespread. Some of his charges actually ended up being dropped in order to continue with this long-awaited journey for justice for the victims. As the jury was finally selected, they moved his original trial date on July 22, 1988 to late January of 1989. During this long waiting period, Richard ended up building this group of cult-like followers who supported him. Most of them were women who claimed to be in love with him and who also claimed to be Satanists. Yeah, this seems to be a, a trend with serial killers, uh, is they'll get arrested and if they have any attractiveness or any uh, appeal, appeal yeah. whatsoever, then they'll start building this following like a fan them. base basically mm -hmm. ted bundy had it dahmer had it i don't think john wayne gacy had it <laughs> <laughs> richard ramirez honestly i've read some things and he could have easily had the same appeal as ted bundy mm -hmm. but and i don't know why women were attracted to him but richard ramirez did not take care of his hygiene and if you guys have seen the pictures his teeth are horrendous so honestly <laughs> ted bundy would have been the better choice Oh, Bundy definitely built himself uh, a following as well, though. Yeah, but with Richard Ramirez, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't see it. Especially with the history behind his crimes. Come on. Uh, it even went so far as to women sending him pictures in jail of themselves Ew. and stuff like that. Uh, women drawing Satanist symbols on their hands and like sending him pictures of that while they're naked. Oh it, my it, gosh! It really was a big problem. That's. And, he received yeah. a lot of attention for it. They need help. Have one woman actually marry him while he was no incarcerated. Way. No. Doreen Loy was the name. She was a 41-year-old freelance magazine editor, and she was one of the main supporters of Richard Ramirez. She married him in 1996 while he was incarcerated, and she bought herself a gold wedding band and got a platinum one for Richard because, as Richard said, Satanists don't wear gold. Although they knew his crimes, they still wanted to support him and send him many letters while he was incarcerated. Yet another delay stopped the case from moving forward when one of the selected jurors was found murdered on August 14, 1989. Rumors that Ramirez planned to have this individual killed spread, but no evidence ever came of that. It was on September 20, 1989 that the jury came to a unanimous guilty verdict charging him with 43 charges, 13 counts of murder, 5 counts of attempted murder, 11 sexual assault charges, and 14 burglary charges. Two weeks later, the jury added to the sentence by suggesting that Richard get the death sentence on 19 different counts. One of the most famous quotes that he said when he left the courtroom after this sentence was, Hey, big deal. Death always comes with the territory. I'll see you in Disneyland. He was formally convicted to get the death penalty by gas chamber on November 7, 1989, and spent the remainder of his days in the San Quentin prison in California. In 2009, over 10 years later, while DNA technology was advancing, Richard ended up being linked to many other crimes, 
including the April 10, 1984 kidnapping, rape, and murder of a nine-year-old girl in California. And after spending 24 years on death row, Richard Ramirez died on June 7, 2013 at the age of 53 due to a B-cell lymphoma, also simply known as cancer. How could someone who caused so many people so much pain just pass away from something like cancer while on death row? I definitely wonder why it took so long for him to be uh, sentenced and for the whole process to finish and why he was on death row for so long. Yeah, because for someone like him to be in jail, they must have had to put him into some sort of solitary confinement Mm -hmm. because the prisoners definitely would have murdered him if they had found out anything that he did. So at least he did suffer in solitary for a long while before uh, eventually passing away. and we already know where he is, so. (laughs) (laughs) Right where he wants to be. To give you an idea of his... To give you an idea of how messed up and how evil he really was, I'm now going to read the names of all of his confirmed victims. June 28th, 1984, Jenny Vincow, 79. March 17th, 1985, Dale Okazaki, 34, and Maria Hernandez, 20. March 17th, 1985, Veronica Yu, 30. March 27, 1985, Vincent Zazara, 64, and his wife Maxine, 44. May 14, 1985, Bill Doy, 66. May 30, 1985, Carol Kyle, 41. June 1, 1985, Mabel Bell, 83, and sister Florence Nettie Lang. July 2nd, 1985, Mary Louise Cannon, 75. July 5th, 1985, Whitney Bennett, 16. July 7th, 1985, Joyce Lucille Nelson, 61. July 7th, 1985, Sophie Dickman, 63. July 20th, 1985, Max Needing, 68 and Leela Needing, 66. August 8, 1985, Elias Abawath, 35. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode over Richard Ramirez. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give us a five-star rating. If you're listening to this on Spotify, go ahead and share the link with your friends and give us a like on our Facebook page and follow our Instagram while you're at it. Thank you guys for joining us for this week's Crime Couch episode, and I'll see you next week. See you next week. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. On a, on a large one.